Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. Tonight, we're doing an archive show. This is a show first broadcast July 31st, 2017. And I hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. All right, let's go. Chester? Yeah, it is. It's the end of July. I don't know where it went. It went fast, didn't it? July, June has gone fast. July's gone fast. Now we're into August. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you got all the shows lined up? Okay, good deal. Hi, everybody. Didn't see you come in there. Sorry, Chester and I were chatting. Can you believe it's the end of July, first part of August already? Where does the time go? Where does the time go? Well, welcome. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. I'm glad to be your host for this particular podcast that features old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids. We remember them because we're baby boomers, but everybody's welcome. Some of these shows we remember from television, but we remember them. Now, I do remember listening to some of the ones that we have tonight. I remember hearing Dragnet on the radio. We have an episode of Dragnet. I remember hearing Lux Radio Theater on the radio when I was a kid. We have an episode of Lux Radio Theater to fill in our comedy corner tonight, and it features some stars we all remember. William Holden. Remember William Holden? Remember Joan Caulfield? Edward Arnold? Uh, I remember Edward Arnold being in a lot of movies when I was a kid. And then we're going to finish things up, as we always do, on the streets of Dodge City with an episode of Gunsmoke. And it's sort of a dramatic one tonight, a little... A little bit of that Shakespearean twist that they like to do on Gunsmoke. So we got a great lineup. Chester has all the shows up, ready to go. So why don't you pull up a chair, make yourself comfortable, because we're going to get started in just a moment. Let's get things started with an episode of Dragnet. 
This one was originally broadcast on the 2nd of November back in 1954. It's entitled The Big Locker, which, you know, it, it, the name fits. The locker uh, fits in, in the storyline. I think they could have come up with another name that might be more appropriate if they didn't have that, that uh, desire to name every episode The Big Something. The Big Locker, The Big Hurt, The Big Sad, The Big easy, the big whatever it was. But the big locker is the name of this one. And I, I will tell you about this particular episode. I like this episode. I thought it was pretty good. And usually they play pretty straight with you on Dragnet. But see if you can see the twist in the story before it takes place. I bet you can't. I bet you won't see this one coming. So here we go from 1954, the big locker on Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a burglary detail. A man walks into a pawn shop and wants to sell a ring. Indications are that the ring is stolen. Your job? Find out. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, June 17th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Bernard. My name is Friday. We were assisting another team in checking out pawn shops, and it was 9.27 a.m. when we got to 552 South Main Street. Pacific Loan Company. Hi, Joe. Frank. Herb, Hi, how you Herbie. doing? What is it? Business or pleasure? A little of both. I'd like to check the Bible, can Herb? Sure thing. I'll get it for you. Where's your partner? Took the day off. Going to get some sunshine. You picked a good day for it. Yeah. Here you are, Joe. Thank you. Herb, are these all the tickets for yesterday? Yeah, it was kind of slow Monday. Mm -hmm. Did you find anything? No, not what we want. Okay, thanks, Herb. Oh, it's okay. You know, Joe, anytime we can help you, fellas. Yeah. Say, Joe, while we're here, I'd like to look at a guitar. What? Not for me. You know me better than that. The only piece I know is it ain't gonna rain no more. What's wrong with how dry I am? It's funny. Mm. What do you got in a good guitar, Herb? Well, come on down here. I'll show you some good buys. One of my neighbors asked me to check if I had a chance. Wants to buy his kid one. Mm -hmm. What do you got? Do you see how much you want to spend? No, but I don't guess he wants to lay out too much. How about that one hanging up there, the one with the knobs on it? Oh, that's an electric. What's with the knobs? For volume. Oh. How much? You know, that one, let you have it for $30. I don't think you'll go that much. You got something cheaper? The kid can make his own volume. That's nice looking, though, don't you think, Joe? Yeah. Hey, here's a good one, a Spanish. Is that the regular kind? That's right. How much is it? $12. Oh, that sounds more like his speed. Can I see it? Sure thing. Yeah. It isn't tuned, but go ahead and strum it. Uh-huh. But what should I be listening for? Tone. Oh. Yeah, that's nice. 
Oh, excuse me, fellas. Sure, go ahead, Herb. Something I can help you with, sir? Yeah, maybe I guess so. How's it sound to you, uh, Joe? You want to step to the back? I don't know. I'm with you. What do we listen for here? Uh, what is it you Tone. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this neighbor told me he was pretty lucky. How's that? Well, his kid's been watching those singing cowboys on TV, so now he wants to be one with a guitar. Mm-hmm. This guy next door says he's glad his kid hasn't got all wrapped up in space shows. Well. Says he couldn't afford a spaceship. Yeah. I don't guess there are too many second-hand spaceships for sale, are there? Joe, I think he's trying to push your hot ring. I turn it down. Let's go. Right. Hey, you, fella, hold it up. You mean me? That's right, police officers. What's the matter? Let's go over to the doorway. Right over here. Well, why? Come on, move. All right, hands over your head. Come on. Turn around. All right. He's clean. See your identification. Like what? You got a driver's license? Yeah. Get it out. All right. Here. Take it out of the wallet. Sure. All right, give it to me. James Fetter. This your true name? Yeah. You live at this address, 1201 South Gratton Street? Yeah. All right, here you are. What were you doing in that shop? Oh, I didn't sell a ring. Let's see it. All right. Here. The ring belonged to you? Yeah. I'm going to wait here, Frank. I'll check Herb. Right. Herb, you want to come out here a minute? Sure. Let's take a look here. Is that the man who tried to sell you the ring down there? Yeah. All right, now look at this. Is this the ring? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an emerald. Real good stone. Why'd you turn it down? Well, I thought there was something wrong, like I said. Yeah. Well, he wanted to sell it for $20. Yeah. Ring's worth close to a thousand. We took James Fetter to the office for questioning. Frank checked with R and I and found that he had a previous record. He'd been picked up on suspicion of burglary and had served one term for auto theft. The ring was examined and found to be genuine. Fetter maintained the ring belonged to him. After an hour of interrogation, he began to change his story. All right, I didn't know what it was worth. You mean the ring wasn't yours then? Yeah, if I'd known it was worth that much, I wouldn't have tried to sell it so cheap. Well, where'd you get it? I found it. Where? MacArthur Park. When? Last night. I go over there all the time in the evening. Did you do anything about trying to find out who lost the ring? Yeah, I checked in the papers and the lost and found. I guess I looked in all of them. I didn't see any ads, though, for a green ring. Uh-huh. Well, I looked at the ring real close and didn't seem like a good stone, so I decided maybe it wasn't worth anything advertising. No, but it was worth trying to sell, wasn't it? Well, like I said, I ain't working. A few bucks would come in handy. Yeah, sure. You don't believe me, do you? Well, you haven't given us much reason, have you? You started out lying. Why should we think different now? Yeah, I guess I told you it was mine. I was afraid maybe you'd think I stole it. But I told you the truth now. You have. Huh? I can prove it. You take me out there. You take me to that park right now. What'll that prove? Well, I'll show you just where I picked it up. Well, now, if we wait until Sunday, the trip won't be wasted, will it? Huh? We can listen to the band concert, too. We continued to question James Fetter, but we were unable to change his story. He was booked in on suspicion of violation of Section 459 PC and held for investigation. We made a check of his residence, his friends, and the places he was known to frequent. We could find nothing to hold him on. He came up on the overtime sheet, and he was released. The ring was booked as found property. Friday, June 20th. Morning, Joe. All right. You check the book? Yeah, nothing in. Mm hmm. Joe? Letter for you. Thank you. Right. Listen to this. Hmm? You did me a favor, now I'm going to do you one. Go to the Greyhound Bus Depot, rental locker number 103. Yeah, is that all? Take a look at it. Here. Huh. Typewritten, no greeting, no signature. Yeah. What do you think? Let's check it out. 
Frank and I took the letter over to Leighton Prince, and then we drove over to 6th and Los Angeles Street, the Greyhound Bus Depot. We went to the office of Ralph Thomas, the regional manager. We told him about the letter, and in his company, we went to check on locker number 103. Well, the locker's empty now. We'll have to see if anything's been removed from it recently. You want to come with me, gentlemen? We'll take the elevator to the basement. All right, fine. Thank, Thank you very you. much, sir. How are the lockers checked, Mr. Thomas? The 10 cents pays for 24 hours. All lockers are checked at midnight. I see. When the time limits up, the articles are removed and a new lock's put on the locker. I see. Of course, as long as the fee's paid, we don't bother it. Mm-hmm. All the things removed are ticketed and held for 90 days. I see. See, we hold them here at the depot for 30 days and then remove them to a warehouse. <laughs> You'd be surprised at how fast they accumulate. Yes, sir. Here we are. Hmm. You mean all these things here have been left in lockers? <laughs> People checked them, didn't come back for them? That's right. We get quite a variety of things. Yeah, you sure do. Of course, not all of them are of much value. For instance, sometimes a person will go out, buy a new shirt, change it in the station, check the old one, and forget about it. Mm-hmm. Look at that, Joe. That stuffed yellow poodle dog mm-hmm. up there? Yeah. Over there, half a radio. <laughs> That's not much good unless you know the guy with the other half, huh? Flat iron. Sure a lot of stuff. Yeah, what about locker 103? Well, let's see now. If there was anything taken from it, it should be right over here. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's some nice-looking luggage. Don't see how a guy would forget something like that. Here we are. It feels like a small box. That's from number 103? Oh, uh, that's what the ticket says, see? Uh-huh. Yeah. What about the date that this was removed? Oh, uh, let's see. Midnight, June 17th. That was three days ago. Yeah. Okay if we open it? Not at all. Here you are. Here, give me the paper, Tom. Yeah. Looks like a Christmas card box, huh? Yeah. Take a look, Frank. Uh-huh. What's in it, Sergeant Friday? Jewelry. We signed a release form for the jewelry, and then we went back to the office. A check of pawn shop records was made, and we found that all the pieces had been reported stolen in a recent burglary. Leighton Prince had called to say no prints were found. The owner, Mrs. Carlton Hendricks, was notified, and she came down to the office. 11.07 a.m. Are you Mr. Friday, the gentleman that I talked to on the phone? Yes, ma'am. It's my partner, Frank Smith. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Smith? How do you do? Smith. Oh, that's a nice, uncomplicated name. If you don't mind my saying so, Mr. Smith, I think you look like a very competent officer. Thank you, ma'am. And you, Mr. Friday, you look, well, as though you might be more complicated, but very efficient. Very nice of you, thank you. You see, that's one of my hobbies, reading character from faces. My friends say that I'm most always right. Yes, ma'am. Oh, when you called, I was so thrilled. You can understand what it means to recover possessions that you'd given up for lost. Yes, ma'am. Would you like to check the pieces now? Yes. You know, I had to call off a bridge party this afternoon, but then there'll be others, and this will be such an experience to tell them about. Yes, ma'am. Now, if you'll just look at these pieces and tell us if they're yours. Oh, all right, Mr. Riley, whenever you're ready. Yes, ma'am. Well, this is the box they were found in here. Well, it's a Christmas card box. How clever of them. I must remember that. You know, to tell my friends. Yes, ma'am, you do that. Frank, would you hand me that newspaper, please? Hmm? Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'll just spread these on the table here and you can see them better. Oh, oh, oh Maurice would just die if he saw this. Is that your husband? Oh, gracious, no. I don't have one. I mean, at present. I'm divorced, you see, but we're still very good friends. I met Maurice, the jeweler. Huh? Just the way Mr. Friday spread my jewels on the newspaper. You see, when Maurice showed me these things, he had them all displayed on a wonderful piece of velvet. Oh. 
Then you recognize these pieces being yours, Miss Hendrickson. Oh, yes. Well, there's my wedding ring and my gold charm bracelet. Have you looked at that close, gentlemen? No, I missed it. Oh, you should. Here, now, look. Now, you see, all those things have a special meaning. My husband gave them to me. Uh, the little stop-and-go light. Oh, that was silly. I was just learning to drive. Yeah. It was a good thing we had insurance. Oh, and this little wheelbarrow. The first time we went to the races, and I won so much money, he said I'd need this to carry it in. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Well, then I guess we can report that the jewels have been identified by the owner, huh? Oh, uh-huh. you see this little cell phone, Mr. Bridey? Yes, ma'am. It's got a number on it. But my husband didn't give me this. He didn't? Oh, no, no. It was all innocent enough, but poor Carlton. That was my husband got furious. I even caught him with a magnifying glass one day trying to read the number of the dear jealous man. Uh-huh. Is everything out of the box, Mr. Friday? Yes, ma'am. It's all right there in the paper. Why? Well, I don't see my ring. You mean this one right here? No, 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 no. That's not it. Uh, it was an emerald in platinum setting. Well, when we checked the burglary report, I don't remember seeing any listing for that, Miss Hendricks. Well, yes, I know. At the time I made the report, I hadn't missed it. These things were stolen from my jewelry box. I thought the emerald was in the safety deposit box. I see. But why didn't you make a report when you discovered that it was gone? Oh, well, it happened at a bad time. I'd made plans to go over to Reno for a vacation. You know what a lovely place that is. Well, I thought if the rest of the things were recovered, the ring would be too. Well, nevertheless, you should have taken the time to report it, ma'am. Oh, yes, I know. But at the time, I was more concerned with my plans for this trip. Have you ever been to Reno? No, ma'am. Oh, you should go sometime. It's really wonderful. I'm going back this winter for the winter sports. Do you gentlemen ski? No, ma'am. No. Miss Hendricks, how much was your ring valued for? Well, I'm not quite sure, but I think Carlton paid something like $1,000 for it. Mm-hmm. Well, three days ago, we recovered an emerald ring that was supposed to have been found. It may possibly be yours. There, you see. Nothing to worry about. I just knew when I saw you two men that everything was going to be all right. My friends are right. I can't read character. Yes, ma'am. We'll have to go over to the property department to identify the ring, Miss Hendricks. Oh, good. Good. That'll be another experience. I'm going to have to get in touch with Carlton. I'll need another charm for my bracelet. Yes, ma'am, you will. And I know now just what I want, something that symbolizes this occasion, and especially you two officers. Uh-huh. Can you guess what it'll be? No, I can't. Can you, Frank? No, Joe, I can't. Two little gold bloodhounds. We took Miss Hendricks over to the property department in the central jail. We signed out for the ring, and she identified it as being hers. All the jewelry was booked as evidence. We went to the district attorney's office and got a warrant for the arrest of James Fetter. We got out a local and an APB on the suspect. Frank and I checked his residence, but we were told the suspect had moved several days previously. The landlady had no forwarding address. She couldn't tell us about any visitors or any mail he'd received. She was unable to tell us if he drove a car. We rechecked his known associates and friends. Several leads were obtained, but none of them turned up anything. Five days went by. Thursday, June 25th. Morning, Frank. Hi, John. You been here long? About five minutes. I just couldn't hit the lights this morning. What's new? Well, we got a call from Auto Theft. Yeah. They picked up a man early this morning trying to steal a car. Somebody we want? I think so. James Fetter. Before Frank and I checked out of the office, we contacted Auto Theft Detail and told them we wanted to talk to Fetter. We drove over to the main jail. The suspect was brought to the interview room. I heard you guys were looking for him. That's right. Could have come in, but I didn't think it was important. So you do it the hard way, huh? This is a bad beef. I guess you figure them all that way, huh? No, not always. You take a chance. You get caught, it's bad. But you ain't getting credit for something you didn't do. That's so. Yeah. What do you want to see me about? You don't know, huh? No, just that some of the boys said you were asking for me. Thought maybe you'd like to tell us more about where you found that ring. 
Oh, that again? Yeah, that again. You got my story. Now, what more do you want? We got an alibi. Now we'd like the truth. I found it. Sure you did. I don't know where I fit in and what you're trying to build, but I want no part of it. It's not that simple. All right, you tell me. That ring wasn't lost. It was stolen, and you know it. Do you figure I'm your pigeon, is that it? Let's try it for size, huh? Mm -mm, Not this time. You can leave it with somebody else. Might take a little time, but we're going to make you on it. No, not from where I sit. You'll need a better story than you got right now. Well, not until you can prove I didn't find it. We got the other stuff you took. Oh, come on. Now you're really reaching. No, I don't think so. You did us a favor, but that doesn't put us on your side. Look, maybe you better fill me in. We got your letter. You did? Yeah. That's great. Now tell me what I said. I'll do even better here. You read it. This is the letter I wrote, huh? That's right. Uh-huh. I get it. Now you found some stuff down at the Greyhound Depot. You called it. Well, I'll give you something else. Yeah. I didn't write that letter. I don't know who did, but it wasn't me. The ring you had has been identified by the owner. A lot of other stuff we recovered. Look, I'll tell you something. It's like I said. You take your chances, but I ain't going to front for this deal. Yeah. Looks like someone was trying to nail me in, but I don't want it. You said I did you a favor. I didn't, but I'm going to now. All right, why don't you? I got that ring from a girl I know. What's her name? Jill Mason. Go ahead. Well, I ran into her the other night. I told her I could use a couple of bucks. She's owed me 15 for a long time. She said she didn't have any cash, but she gave me the ring. Uh-huh. I didn't know what it was worth. That's the truth. I don't think she did either. She's carrying a pretty fair package at the time. Well, go ahead. Well, she told me she got the ring from a boyfriend. That's all I knew about it. Why'd you give us the story about the park? Well, I figured maybe it'd keep her out of trouble. As long as you had the ring, I thought that was enough. And what's this girl mean to you? You mean how well do I know her? Yeah. I talked to her, that's all, but the only reason I give this to you is I don't want to pay somebody else's bill. She ever done any big time? I don't know. I never had any serious talks with her. Won't tell us where she lives? Yeah. You know, I don't understand that letter. Maybe you still think I wrote it, but I didn't. We only got your word for that. No. Doesn't make sense I'd send a letter if I'd taken the stuff and wanted to keep it. You might have. Why? You made a lot of other mistakes. After further questioning, the suspect gave us a description of Jill Mason and her address. Frank and I went back to the office and checked her name through R&I, but we found no previous record for anybody answering her description. We drove over to 943 Wright Street, and we found the apartment house Federer had told us about. Jill Mason's name was listed on a mailbox near the front entrance. We went up to the third floor, apartment 316. We rang the bell, and the door was opened by a woman of about 35 years of age. Her face showed signs of having recently been bruised. Yeah? What is it? You Jill Mason? That's right. Police officers would like to talk to you. Oh, well, I was just going to the beauty part. I am late now. We'd appreciate it if you can wait, ma'am. All right. Bart, if we come in? Guess so. Thank you. <clears throat> Live alone here? Yep. Bart, if we look around? Go ahead. Frank? Yeah. Look, what's this all about? I don't think I like it. That slob Whitey put you up to this? Beg your pardon? Whitey, the bartender of the one stop. That chiseler make a fuss over the couple of ten-cent glasses I broke last night? We haven't talked to him. It's okay, Joe. Wouldn't have surprised me if he had. Imagine him telling me I wasn't no lady. His shins are going to be sore for a couple of days. Do you know a person named James Fetter? What's the last name? Fetter. F-E-D-E-R. You say you knew me? Can you tell us that, please? You know him? Yeah. Say, uh, is this going to take long? To make a difference? Yeah, I'd like to call and cancel my appointment. All right. Thanks. Hi, Helen. Joe Mason. Gonna have to cancel my appointment. Okay, I'll call you. Yeah. Sorry, honey. Yeah. Goodbye. No sense keeping her waiting. I didn't have to ask you if you'd be here long. When it wasn't about last night, I knew. Mm-hmm. Mind if I sit down? Go ahead. I could lie to you, but if you talked to Fetter, it'd only be wasted breath. 
I'm beat as it is, more than one way. Did you give Federer a ring? That's what kicked the whole business off. You know? You see my face? It not look too bad now, but you should have seen it a week ago. If I had had a gun, I think I'd have shot him. Federer, you mean, huh? No, he didn't have anything to do with it. I mean Steve Remsen. Who's he? Guy that gave me the ring, the one I gave to Federer for the money I owed him. I was pretty stupid about it, but that wasn't any reason for me to take the beating. Mm. When did this Remsen get the ring? Did you get my letter? So I got even with him. Did you know the ring was stolen when you gave it to Fetter? No, Steve just gave it to me. He didn't say anything about where he got it or how much it was worth, nothing. Just before I saw Fetter, I'd had a fight with Steve. Mm-hmm. Got a little loaded. When Fetter asked me for the money, I gave him the ring. Remsen told you it was stolen, did he? Later, if you'd found out what I'd done with it, he got real sore. Said if Fetter tried to pawn the ring, they'd find out about the other stuff. Uh-huh. Said he couldn't go back to the bus station for it. Cops might pick him up. I see. We were up here. He was drinking. Got madder all the time and finally worked me over. Mm-hmm. Fetter got in touch with me after you let him go. Told me what had happened. I didn't let on that I knew about the ring, but that's when I figured how to get even with Steve. I mailed you the letter. Know where Remsen is now? No. He'll probably call today. I haven't seen him since he beat up on me, but he'll call. Trying to make up. I told him we were through. I can get him up here for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know where he lives? Not now. He's moved. Can you give us the address? Sure. But don't you believe me? I wouldn't lie to you, not after what he done to me. Mm-hmm. I want to get even with him, that's all. I don't know why you don't buy it. Well, maybe we will. Yeah? If he shows up. called the office, and another team of men was sent out to check the address Joe Mason had given us for Steve Remsen. We had the name checked through R&I, but without result. Frank went out and moved the car away from the building in case Remsen might show up. We went back to the apartment and waited for him to call. Ten hours went by. She received several calls, but none of them from Remsen. Manuel Pena, one of the detectives checking Remsen's address, called and said that they'd found that he moved away on June 18th. He said they'd make a follow-up investigation. 11.30 p.m. What if he doesn't call me? You said he might, didn't you? I know, but it's never at any particular time. I just said he'd been calling. Maybe he won't. What happens then? We'll wait and see. Remember, hold it so we can hear it. Now. I know. Hello? Oh, hi. Uh, I don't know if I can make it. Well, I know. I'd like to, but I'll, I'll have to call you. Uh-huh. Sure, sure, honey. Thanks for calling. Bye. Girlfriend wanted me to go bowling tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. You heard what I told her. Guess it's better not to try to plan anything, huh? Yeah. Ah, it's a front door buzzer. Someone's calling from down below. Door's locked at ten. All right, answer it and hold the receiver so we can hear. You still don't trust me. That's not the point. Oh? It's him. Get him up here. What's that, Steve? Uh-huh. I know, honey. I guess I was wrong, too. Uh-huh. Come on up. Hurry, honey. There. That'll open the front door for him. He'll be right up. Frank, you want to unlock this door? Yeah. Carry a gun? I know he's got one. All set? Yeah. Hiya, doll. Police officers, Remsen, get your hands up. What's going on? Come on, over your head. Hold it right there, Frank. Yeah. What is this, Jill? All right. He's clean. Get your hands behind your back. Come on. You heard them. These are police officers. Honey. Boy, you... All right, hold it right there. Never mind. You and the cops. I should have finished what I started with you. You tried. You wouldn't have got your laylit if you'd used your head. We wouldn't be in this mess now. My fault for tying in with a knothead like you. Oh, you... All right, now stop it, both of you. Sure, it's just that you guys never come close if it wasn't for this dumb broad. You tell us. 
Had it all worked out. Things were going just the way I planned. All right. Sure, I'd be sitting pretty except for her. Yeah, sure you would. Dumb broad, the biggest mistake she ever made. No, there was one other. What? The first time she talked to you. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On October 5th, trial was held in Department 98, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Steve Lynn Remsen was tried and convicted on one count of burglary in the second degree and received sentence as prescribed by law. Burglary in the second degree is punishable by imprisonment for a period of not more than one year in the county jail or by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than one nor more than 15 years. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Herb Ellis, Harry Bartell, Georgia Ellis. Script by John Robinson, Earl Schley. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely different Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Now to NBC election headquarters in New York. This is Merrill Muller. Here are the latest returns in a surprising election in which voter apathy disappeared during the last two days of the campaign. Millions of voters unexpectedly turned out to vote in freezing weather in the West and rainy mixed weather with snow along the East Coast. As of this time, the Republicans have elected one member to the Senate. She's Margaret Chase Smith in Maine last month. The Democrats have elected 11 senators, all shoe-in in the South. In other Senate contests, Republicans are leading in five races, the Democrats in seven. In the House, the Republicans have elected 10 members. The Democrats have elected 120, mostly in the South. In other contests, Republicans are leading in 25 House districts. Democrats lead in 10, no net gain. We'll be back on the air at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with a full all-night roundup across the nation. Keep tuned to your NBC station for the later election news. Here's a late bulletin on the Democratic governor contest in New York. The Democratic state chairman says that Averill Harriman is ahead, and the Democrats claim Harriman will win New York by 300,000. This is Merrill Muller at NBC Election Headquarters. This is the NBC Radio Network. From November 2nd, 1954, that was the big locker on Dragnet with Jack Webb and Ben Alexander as Joe Friday and Frank Smith. Did you see that twist coming? That Usually they don't follow a lead like that and end up have the guy innocent. Well, he wasn't exactly innocent, but he wasn't uh, guilty of what they had accused him of. I thought it was a pretty good episode. I like Dragnet, and of course, we'll have more episodes of Dragnet in the weeks ahead. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation 
complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, company tonight. <laughs> We're going to have a little fun on the comedy corner tonight. We're not going to play an uproarious half an hour sitcom. Instead, we're going to play a nice, light, romantic comedy that originally was heard on Lux Radio Theater back on February the 19th, 1951. Now, you recall that Lux normally did adaptations of motion pictures, adaptations for the radio. And that's exactly what we're uh, going to be listening to tonight. This was a 1949 film entitled Dear Wife, and it stars William Holden. Joan Caulfield, Edward Arnold, and Mona Freeman. Now, this was a sequel to a movie that had come out two years earlier that had been based on a very successful Broadway play that was written by Norman Krasna and directed by Moss Hart. The play ran for 680 performances, uh, which was a good run, especially in those days. Then that was turned into the play was turned into a 1947 film with the same stars that we're going to hear tonight. Dear Ruth told the story about a teenage girl who had developed a pen pal relationship with a soldier. The thing is, she had used her older sister's name in writing to this soldier and even sent him her older sister's photograph. Well, the fun began, of course, when the soldier showed up at their home while on a two-day leave. But what we're listening to tonight is Dear Wife. It's the sequel that came out two years later. And it's a lot of fun. By the way, there's some speculation about the opening credits that were displayed on theater screens when this movie came out in 1949. The credits showed William Holden and Joan Caulfield's last names side by side in big letters on the screen. Well, it was during this time that J.D. Salinger was writing his breakout novel, The Coming of Age Story, that became almost an anthem for baby boomers by the name of Catcher in the Rye. And it is believed that while watching this film, he saw those two names side by side on the screen, and they were the inspiration for the name of his character, Holden Caulfield. Some say Salinger even verified that he actually saw the names on a theater marquee, but others have labeled that urban legend. So, who knows? At any rate, it's a great story. Okay, here we go. Lux Radio Theater, as originally broadcast February 19th, 1951, Dear Wife. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater. Starring William Holden, Joan Caulfield, Edward Arnold, and Mona Freeman in Dear Wife. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's been my experience that it's always difficult to follow a successful story with a successful sequel. But just to prove it can be done, we're bringing you as our play tonight, Dear Wife. I'm sure you all remember the young lieutenant who wrote letters to Dear Ruth, which were so beautifully and romantically answered. Uh, That is, he thought he was writing to Ruth. 
But when he arrived home from overseas, it seemed it was dear little sister Miriam. Well, it all ended happily, and as the curtain descended, Ruth was about to become dear wife. As our stars of this sparkling Paramount picture, we have William Holden, Joan Caulfield, Edward Arnold, and Mona Freeman, all recreating their original roles as one of your favorite families. The curtain rises on Dear Wife, starring William Holden as Bill, Joan Caulfield as Ruth, Edward Arnold as Judge Wilkins, and Mona Freeman as Miriam. It's early morning in the residence of Judge Wilkins in a pleasant suburb of New York. Mrs. Wilkins and her eldest daughter are the first ones down for breakfast. All alone, Mother? Where's Dad? Still asleep, dear. He got in very late. Well, what happened at the political rally? Well, I wasn't up when he came home, and the morning paper doesn't say. Hmm. Smells like popovers. Uh Uh-huh. Your husband likes them. Mom, Bill doesn't like to get the things he likes. Would you mind repeating that, dear? You know what I mean. Living with my family and not earning an awful lot. Well, he hates having a fuss made over him. And, Mom. Yes? Bill's pretty unhappy about the rent we're paying here. Well, I didn't think it was too much. Well, that's just it. Bill doesn't think it's enough. Oh. It's his pride. And when he finds out that Dad bought me a new dress, well... Good morning. Well, good morning, Bill. Morning, handsome. I said good morning to you upstairs, but I'll say it again. Good morning, darling. Morning, Mr. Seacroft. Hi, Adora. Popovers for breakfast, Mr. Seacroft. And not because you like them. We all like them. Would I have married you otherwise? Thank you, Dora. Albert phoned Bill. He's picking you up in a few minutes. Oh, it's too early to have a look at Albert. When is a good time? Well, that's a difficult question. Oh, I apologize, Ruth. It's not nice to say that about the man who's in love with my wife. Oh, stop being silly. And besides, if my boss didn't love my wife, I'd have to walk to work. Uh-huh. Good morning, everybody. Morning, morning Miriam. Miriam. Miriam, don't tell me you've been outdoors already. Mm-hmm. Since half past six, Mother. Another oh. petition? It is not criminal, Ruth, for a citizen to take an active part in the struggle for good government. Uh, But do you think it's a good idea to wake people up to have them sign things? Well, if the people in this town don't wake up, they'll they'll send another mealy-mouthed fathead to the state senate. And we of the Civic Betterment League refuse to allow George H. Stiver to pick stooges to represent us in Albany. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, morning, Dad. Well, did you hear the good news? Well, no. What news, dear? Well, George Stiver nominated me for the state senate. (laughs) Food should be chewed, Miriam, not gulp. Yes, Father. And oh. the caucus approved me unanimously. Oh, oh Dad, congratulations. Miriam, aren't you going to congratulate Dad? Well, well, sure. But, Father, you're a municipal judge, and the crime rate in this country has increased 28%. Don't you feel you're needed on the bench? Oh, I don't think our judicial system is going to collapse if I go to Albany for a few months. But I'd have to stay here in school and... And we'd be separated. Well, that's an advantage I hadn't thought of. No. What your daughter is trying to say, Dad, is that she doesn't approve of Mr. Stiver. I do not, Father. Oh, well, he'll be very sorry to hear that. But I've known and respected George Stiver for 20 years. Why, he's one of the most... Good morning, everybody. Miriam, Mrs. Wilkins. Good morning. Albert. Well, 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 Senator Wilkins. Congratulations. Thank you, Albert. Thank you. Well, aren't you going to congratulate me? Hmm? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't had a chance to tell him, Albert, you know. 
Uh, <clears throat> they made Albert my campaign manager. <laughs> I thought you'd be delighted. Oh, I am, I am. But you being at the bank and all that, I will... Well, as I always say, if you want a job done well, give it to a busy man. Well, come along, Seacroft, come along. Goodbye, funny face. Goodbye, darling. It's for you, Church. Oh, Telephone. Coming, coming. Miriam, I wish you'd show your father a little more respect. I'm completely honest with him. Is there a better way of showing respect? Finish your breakfast. Oh, that's quite all right, Harvey. Oh, I was just eating my... Who? Bill Seacroft? My son-in-law? You sure there isn't some mistake? Well, of course I'll find out. Yes, yes, yes. I'll call you later. Ruth! Ruth! Yes, Dad? There's a petition out. Does Bill know that he's being run for the state senate? Bill? Hmm. Oh, that's ridiculous. He would have told me. He doesn't know. Miriam? Yes, Father? Uh, how do you know Bill doesn't know? Well, we didn't tell him. Ziggy and I thought that we shouldn't tell him. Ziggy? Who's Ziggy? Father. Ziggy's my boyfriend. Oh, golly. Well, I'm terribly late for school, Mother. Goodbye. Goodbye, Father. Miriam. Miriam, wait a moment. Miriam! Dan said you want to see me, Albert. Seacroft, when a man works in a bank, his job is banking. Very well put, Albert. But what's this all about? Oh, come, come, Seacroft, let's not pretend. It so happens I just saw that petition. Petition? Nominating you for the state senate against your own father-in-law. Oh, relax, Albert. It's just my little sister-in-law playing politics instead of hopscotch. I haven't the slightest intention of running against anybody for anything. Now, is that all? For the moment, yes. Now, go along, Seacroft. I, uh, I've got to scamp these papers. Albert. I said that will be all for now, Seacroft. Albert, you're stamping your necktie. And kindly remember that... Ow! Anybody home? Good afternoon, Father. Just good afternoon? Come here. Yes, Father. I guess I was preoccupied. Did you have a good day in court, Father? No, terrible. And what's the matter with your arm? Well, nothing. Not a thing. Oh, I'm sorry you had a bad day, Father. Miriam, what have you got behind your back? Oh, it's, well, it's just a copy of that weekly paper they throw away. I was going to throw it away, too. Miriam, you're a good girl to try to spare your father's feelings. But I've already seen that letter they printed. Oh. I have been in politics for 25 years, and this is the first time I've been vilified. Stiver, stooge, political fact. But, fatty. Father, you don't... Civic, Madam and League, if they had the courage to sign their names, why, I'd sue them all for criminal libel. I... Civic, Betterment League? Miriam, isn't that the name of the... Yes, Father. I see, I see. You don't happen to still be its president? Oh, no, Father. Secretary. Oh, I see. And the secretary, it goes without saying, writes the letters and composes such happy phrases as political fathead and Stiver Stewart. But, Father, I didn't know you were going to be Stiver Stewart. Don't you dare use that expression again. Harry, what's the trouble, dear? What's usually the trouble, Edith, this daughter of yours? Have you seen the letter in the shopping news? Oh, hello, Ruth. Miriam wrote that letter? Father, I, I honestly feel you're too sensitive for a man in public life. My public life is fine. It's my home life that's driving me crazy. Harry, you're losing your temper, dear. I'm losing my mind. 
Well, well, a happy candidate and his little family. Hello, darling. Ah, heartwarming picture. Hiya, baby. I suppose you've heard about Miriam's petition, Bill. Yeah, but it didn't go to my head. Say, what's this, a new dress? Huh? Oh, oh, no, no, darling. It's just my old beige. I, I had it dyed and took off the peplum. Well, it came out fine. Father, I'm generally sorry if I've hurt you. What do you mean, if you hurt me? Oh, let's talk about something pleasant. Hello, Bill. Hi. Ruth, that's a lovely dress Dad bought you. Miriam. Wasn't that pleasant? No, a very funny thing happened in court this morning. So it is a new dress. Bill. Bill, I didn't mean to tell you a lot. Now, look, Bill. So I bought her a new dress. Oh, it's perfectly all right. I'll go upstairs and get cleaned up. Ruth, did I do something wrong? No, I did. Now, look, baby, forget the dress. I, I just don't feel like talking about it. Oh, Bill, please. I've been very stupid, darling. No, dress, not anything is worth seeing you unhappy. Ruth, uh, would you would you mind terribly if we moved out, took a room someplace, if we can find one? Not if you want us to. Wasn't anything Mom or Dad said? Oh, no, no, but you know how I feel about taking favors. We'll move, Bill, any time you say. Oh, there I go, being crazy again, asking you to live in a two-by-four dump just because my pride's bigger than my salary. Well, wouldn't it solve everything if I got a job? Oh, honey, we're not going through that again. But it would give you a chance to look for something better than the bank. Look, will you do me a favor? Of course. Shut up and kiss me. Yes? It's your landlord. Come on in, Dad. Well, my wife tells me that you're trying to get your rent raised. Yes, sir. Uh, we'd like to oblige our tenants, but uh, just uh, look at this room. Why, it's the nicest room in the whole house. It hasn't been painted for for four years. Well, it doesn't need painting, and the wallpaper's like new. Now, just look at this carpeting. But it's fine carpeting. It's hardly worn at all. And as for this radio we gave you, <laughs> why, it's older than I am. Well, there's nothing wrong with the radio, except maybe a slight cough. Here, I'll show you. I, I bet it won't even light up. As for the rest of the furniture in here... shopping news, which called Judge Wilkins a political fathead in Stiver's stew. Oh, Dad, please. Spurred on by that letter, a Seacroft percentage group has been formed. A dinner for their candidates. Come on, come on! Fathead in capital letters. Oh. And now for the weather forecast. It looks as if... Judge, believe me, I don't know a thing about this dinner. Oh, it's all right, son. I'm sure you don't. Oh, Bill. Well... Well, just don't stare at me. Oh, come on. Let's go downstairs. And it came just before you came home, Bill. Telegram, huh? I'll be right down, honey. Is it all right if I open it? No. Too late. Bill! What is it? What's the matter? Didn't you call off that dinner? What dinner? Those people who want you to run for the state senate. It's tonight. Oh, no. Look. It says, unable to reach you on phone. Tommy Murphy will call for you tonight at 7.30. Bill, didn't you tell them you weren't running? Me? I, I thought you were going to phone them. Oh. <coughs> oh, hello, Albert. The door was open, Ruth, so I just walked in. Well, Seacroft, fine thing, selling out your wife's father for a plate of soup and lukewarm chicken. I am not going to that dinner. Oh, I see. Tommy Murphy is calling for you so as not to take you to the dinner. You'd better phone him, Bill. All those people are expecting you. Wait a minute. The chairman of the Wilkins campaign has the germ of an idea. Yes, sir, the germ of an idea. Keep away from him, Ruth. He's got germs. 
See, Croft, these misguided people are gathering tonight to oppose your father-in-law. Now, who better than you can change their mind? You want Bill to go? Oh, no, 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 no. Ruth and I are going out for dinner, and we have tickets to a very fine musical. And besides, I don't go places where my wife isn't invited. It's just a political dinner, dear, and, and maybe you could help Dad. Well, I, I'd sure like to help him. If you're worried about those theater tickets, uh, I'll take Ruth. Well, honey, you do want to see the show. And why waste the tickets? Well, you, you're sure you don't mind. Why should I mind? Say, I better put on a dark suit. I, I think I'd better go on up, too, for a minute. Excuse us, won't you, Albert? Darling, I don't think I want to go. Oh, go on, baby. Have a good time. Well, if I was sure you meant that... Oh, honey, you know how I feel about Albert. No, I don't. I was never engaged to him. <laughs> oh, look, Mrs. Dope, I'm kidding. Ten to one, I'll have more fun with Mr. Murphy. Well, I'll go out and get some beer and cigars. Isn't that what politicians like? I'll worry about my fella. You look after yours. I'll be down in about five minutes. Uh, yes? Good evening. I'm Tommy Murphy. You, uh, you're Tommy Murphy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. well, hello. I, uh, I'm Bill Seacroft. Oh, Ruth, uh, Mr. Murphy's here. Hmm? Uh, we thought you'd be a man. So did my father. That's how I got the name. Well, you're good-looking. That's a great political asset. Young, too. He's 30. I'm Mrs. Seacroft. Uh, she's 24. <laughs> How do you do, Mrs. Seacroft? I'm Albert Cummer, Third Avenue State Bank. How do you do? Uh, I hope you don't mind my dragging your husband away. Of course I don't mind. I'm taking her to the theater. Ready, Ruth? I just have to get my wrap. Oh, let me help you, dear. Yeah, it looks like politics might be very interesting. You behave yourself. Have a good time, baby. Oh, Albert, uh, I can trust you, can't I? I'm sure that Ruth will want to get home early. Early? <laughs> Hello? Hello, Clara. This is Miriam. Clara, Bill's gone to that dinner, and what do you think? His campaign manager is a woman. Yes, young, sophisticated, and very vital with red hair. Ruth? Well, of course she's not jealous. Why should she be? Clara, jealousy is the most infantile of all the emotions and is indulged in only by people who are fundamentally maladjusted, insecure, and... and... Clara, who did I just hear talking to you? But I did, Clara. And it sounded like Ziggy. Well, what's he doing at your house? Well, of course I don't care. Ziggy's got a mind of his own, hasn't he? Such as it is. <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll see you tomorrow, Clara. Oh. <laughs> Thank you again, Albert, for a very nice evening. But now, why don't you just run along? Why? Because Bill isn't home yet. Well, the dinner probably lasted very late. Of course. Probably has nothing to do whatever with that attractive Miss Murphy. Of course it hasn't. I'm just worried. There's so many accidents. I know, and I admire you, Ruth, for not being suspicious. Albert, believe me, there's nothing to be suspicious about. Oh, it's ridiculous. Uh, why don't we phone Miss Murphy's home? 
Oh, Albert, I wish you'd go home. But I'm just trying to cheer you up, and believe me, it's not easy to defend a man who at, at this very moment is probably... Bill? Oh, I'm sorry I'm so late, darling. Hello, Albert. Well, Ruth, an awful lot happened tonight. So we gathered. Ruth, I'm running for the state senate. You... you what? Running? Against Dad? Oh, it's the last thing in the world I intended to do, but... Uh, he's a man down here. What's going on? What's going Judge on? Judge Wilkins, the son-in-law of yours, is running against you in the primaries. Bill? Yes, sir, I have to. The most shocking act of disloyalty I ever... Your son-in-law living in your own house. Albert, I know where he lives. <laughs> well, aren't you going to do anything? What should I do? Hit him with a hairbrush? Oh, Albert, why don't you go home and get some sleep? Well, well... Maybe I take treachery too seriously. <laughs> Good night. Now, tell me, what is all this about? Well, Judge, I went to this dinner only to talk for you. And I did, from my heart. But they brought up this airport issue, and it was the first time I'd ever heard the other side. And you don't agree with me? No, sir, I don't. As a matter of fact, I feel so strongly about it that I've got to oppose you. Oh, Miss Murphy must have been very persuasive. Miss Murphy? Oh, yes, yes, she was. So were the others. I see. Oh, now, Ruth, darling, this isn't like you. Well, I didn't think it was like you to turn against my father. But this is a matter of principles, of convictions. Oh, I know I won't win, but oh, I... Rules, rules, where's your sense of humor? Would you think I'd holler my head off if I thought he had a chance? Go to it, my boy. Thanks, Judge. Yeah, Ruth, you see? Well, honey, what do you got to say now? Good night. I'm very tired. Hmm. Well, where's the opponent? How about little nightcap? I think I could use one. Now, 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 Ruth will get over it. Yeah, I suppose she will. Well, to Senator Wilkins. Thank you, my son. Oh. Miriam, go to bed. <laughs> Act two of Dear Wife, starring William Holden as Bill, Joan Caulfield as Ruth, Edward Arnold as Judge Wilkins, and Mona Freeman as Miriam. Well, it appears that the Wilkins family is offering the public two candidates in the contest for the state senate, the judge and his son-in-law, Bill. And so far, the rivalry has been exceedingly friendly. It's late afternoon, and Judge and Mrs. Wilkins are expecting guests, some 50 campaign workers, for a barbecue dinner in the garden. Father. Well, Miriam? Would you mind terribly if I'm not present at this dinner? No, I'd be delighted. Why? Miriam, more napkins, dear. In a moment, Mother. Are Ruth and Bill coming to the dinner? Well, Ruth and Bill are with some of their friends. We'll see them later at the rally. In case you don't know it, Father, Ruth may not vote for you. Mm, then again, she may. Ruth hasn't made up her mind yet. Well, I have a problem, too. Mm -hmm. Let's put it this way, Father. Let's say that you were crazy about your father. Well, I was. And he was running for public office. And his political views were... Well, I don't mean stupid exactly. Well, thank you very much. Well, what I mean is that this is a party for your supporters. And if I'm here as your daughter, that's one thing. But politically, well, 
What should I do? Get the napkins for your mother. Yes, Father. Edith, do you suppose that if I pulled some strings, we could get that child deported? Oh, Harry. <laughs> Harry, that's terrible. Now help me with these chairs. Hey, Miriam, it's me, Miriam. Oh, hello, Ziggy. I'm busy. Oh, but I thought I'd tell you the news. I get to play in the baseball game tonight. Oh, congratulations. Well, what time will you be ready? For what? For what? To watch me play. Oh, oh, well, I've got to watch my father play statesman. We're having that dinner. Dinner? Well, don't you remember? You mailed the invitations for me. I mailed the... Oh... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Miriam, I'm waiting for those napkins. You can see how busy I am, Ziggy. Yeah. Uh, Miriam, I... I think I have something to tell you uh, about those... Well, about those invitations. But I can't understand it, Edith. You ask 50 people for 6 o'clock, you certainly expect them by 6.30. Well, I'm here, Judge. And these spare is delicious, Mrs. Wilkins. Simply delicious. Well, it's only five minutes to seven, Harry. Yes, but the rally starts at eight. Oh, well, it's Saturday and people go into town and they, they get caught in traffic jams. All 50 of them? Well, you needn't be annoyed with me, Harry. It's very peculiar. 50 pounds of spare ribs. Oh, dear. Father. Father, I... I think Ziggy has something to say to you. Oh, not now, Mary, not now. I think it's very urgent, Father. Well, what is it, Ziggy? <clears throat> I... <clears throat> is there anything else? Father, it's really my fault. Your fault? I take that for granted. Now, tell me, what is your fault now? <clears throat> I... <laughs> Would you like to clarify that for him? Well, all spring, Ziggy's been on the bench, Father. Well, I've been on the bench for 20 years. Well, Monday, the coach told him to warm up. Oh, no, really, Miriam. Well, he got so excited, he mislaid his bicycle. Well, I'm very sorry, but I didn't take it. The bicycle had a carrier, a sort of a basket. That's very interesting, then. Is that the whole story? No, Father. But the invitations for tonight were in the basket. I forgot to mail them. Goodbye, Miriam. Oh, no. No, I don't believe it. Miriam. Oh, I'm very sorry, Mother. Oh, we'll speak to you later. Come along, Harry. We might as well get over to the rally. I to mail the invitations. I just don't believe it. <laughs> Oh, you're in, Judge. Great speech. Nice work, Judge. That's telling, young Seacrow. Oh, thank you, thank you. And don't forget my place after the rally, huh? Those spare ribs, they're still waiting for us. Don't you know. worry, Judge. I've invited everybody. <laughs> oh, fine, I'll be fine. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll hear Candid Seacrow's rebuttal. <laughs> reasonable sacrifice to bring one to Van Buren Heights. But let's take another look at that sacrifice. Demanding that 140 people give up their homes just so that we can have an airport? No. And if elected, I'm not going to. 
Thank you. And now, now we'll have questions from the audience. One at a time, and please keep them brief. This question is to Mr. Seacroft. Mr. Seacroft, how old are you? I'm 30. 30, and no experience. Four years overseas, ain't that experience? <laughs> the chair, the chair recognizes the gentleman on the aisle. Judge Wilkins, was your house ever torn down for the good of Van Buren Heights? No, sir, it was not. That's all I wanted to know. Mr. Chairman. Chair recognizes Mr. Seacross, campaign manager, Miss Murphy. Thank you. Judge Wilkins. You said in your speech that you wanted no punches pulled. Yes, that's right, Miss Murphy. Well, is there any truth to that letter in the shopping news that you are Starvis Stooge? That letter was absolute nonsense. But wasn't it written by your daughter? Well, uh... Wasn't it, Judge? Yes, it was. <laughs> we want Seacroft! We want Seacroft! We want Seacroft! We want Oh, was it my fault, Ruth? Anything can happen at a rally. What's the good of talking about it? Very clever girl, Miss Murphy. What do you mean by that? Albert said she's clever. Is that so hard to understand? Yes, it took brains to find out that Miriam wrote that letter. Are you suggesting I told her? Is that what you think, Ruth? Does it matter what I think? I think you shouldn't be running against Dad, but you are. Oh, I've heard all that. Well, here's something you haven't heard. I'm voting for my father. And we'd appreciate it if you'd be a little more pleasant by the time we get home. Why? Because all those people Mother and Dad expected before the rally will be there. Oh, fine. What did you say, Clara? Well, yes, Clara, of course. But as long as Mother and Ruth remain infants politically, the responsibilities are on my shoulders. Uh-uh. They're not back from the rally yet. My father made me stay home. Oh, incidentally, I just saved him $40. So I think he'll feel a lot better when he... Oh, they've just come home, Clara. Talk to you tomorrow. Goodbye. Mother, you're going to be very pleased with me. Why, dear? Well, rather than see them spoil, I phoned Mr. Hudson Cleaver at the Delicatessen, and he came over and bought up all the spare ribs. Oh, no! Mother! Mother, who are all those people? Just the campaign workers, dear. We invited them all over for spare ribs. Oh! Harry, that match for your cigar. The wastebasket's burning. Don't let it burn. I'll put the newspaper oh, down, dear. It just makes you feel miserable oh, reading about that rally last night. I can understand how the judge feels. Oh, that's a big help, I'm sure. Mm. There's no need for sarcasm, dear. Well, at least she spoke to me, Mother Wilkins. I, I think it's nice when a wife talks to her husband. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Miriam. You know, this dining room could be used for a deep freeze. No, keep quiet, Miriam. Yes, Father. I've been thinking that it might simplify everything if Ruth and I found another place to live. Perhaps that would be best. Please, I am in no mood for nonsense. Father, could I make a suggestion? No. Oh, for heaven's sake, Harry. All right, what is it? Well, a spirit of ill will has come into this home. 
And while my suggestion may seem a bit drastic... Oh, never mind the preamble. Well, Father, why don't you just withdraw from the race? Miriam! Well, it was merely an idea. What kind of a family have I got, anyway? My son-in-law humiliates me in public. That's hardly fair, sir. You keep out of this. And my youngest daughter, my diabolical, my Machiavellian... That waffles, Miss Wilson. A man raises a family. Sure, he's entitled to some respect, but what do I get? Hot waffles, Jack! I don't want any hot waffles! <laughs> well, it certainly isn't compulsory, Harry. Ruth? I'm not hungry, Mother. Excuse me, I'm going upstairs. Bill? No, thanks. Uh, Ruth, wait a minute. Will you have a hot waffle, Miriam? Yes, please. I'd love a hot waffle. Oh. That's exactly right. I'm packing our suitcases. We're moving. Moving? But why? Oh, honey, it's obvious. Now help me, will you? Don't you think I ought to have something to say about it? Well, what's there to say? You know what the mess things are in. Well, whose fault is it? Nobody's. Mine, if you like. What difference does it make? You don't consult me about anything, do you? Now, Ruth. For political advice, you go to Tommy Murphy. You might at least consult me about where we live. Please, we've been all through that. Bill, you're acting like a child. You don't even know where we're going. We'll find a room. No. Darling, we've got to. Look what's happening to us, all this bickering. If we go on living with your family, it's just... It has nothing to do with my family. We're not leaving. Ruth, I hate this wrangling. Now get your things. I meant what I said. I'm not going. And if you want to go without me, go right ahead. It's fine with me. Go now. The sooner the better. All right, I will. Hello, Bill. Oh, hello, Miriam. Bill, I know this is a bank and that you're awfully busy, but have you got half a minute? Yeah, sure. Well, how are you, Miriam? Oh, depressed, naturally. Bill, I'm not going to interfere and ask you to phone Ruth or something, but I thought you might benefit from my own experience. Yeah. Ziggy and I had a terribly bitter quarrel. I lost my temper, and and I told him I wouldn't go to the PTA dance. I'm sorry, Miriam. Oh, you needn't be. That's my point. I'm going to pocket my pride and call him. I'm going to tell him how wrong I was, even though I wasn't really. You see, Bill, when people are grown up, they... Oh, Ziggy, how did you know I was here? I didn't. A bank is a public institution. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Seacroft, I'm in a bad jam, sir. Oh? Could I borrow your tuxedo? Well, you got any collateral, Ziggy? Well, I got studs in a boiled shirt. It's it's for the PTA dance. Well, I, I haven't told you I was going, Ziggy. I'm taking Clara. Clara? Oh. Could I borrow it, sir? Yeah, I'll have it here tomorrow. Oh, thanks a lot, Mr. Seacroft. Uh, so long, Mr. Seacroft. Well, he must think I care. Do you? Yes. In the battle of the sexes, nobody ever wins. Goodbye, Bill. Yes, sir? Say, Alice, uh, would you mind getting Judge Wilkins' house on the phone? I... I... Yes, sir? No, I'll be darned if I will. Well, whatever you say, Mr. Seacroft. That you, Ruth? Yes, Mother. Anybody telephone? No, dear. Why should Bill call you? Have you called him? Oh, Dad, please. 
Well, I saw Mr. Burroughs and he gave me a job. Forty a week. Ruth, I don't approve. I know, Dad. I'm behaving like an idiot. I'm a stubborn mule and a spoiled child. Anyway, Mr. Burroughs said I could take over the apartment rentals here, but he'd rather I worked for him in Chicago. Chicago? Ruth, I absolutely forbid it. Dad, I'm 24. And I wish you were 10 so I could paddle some sense into you. Harry. Ruth, come here. I want to tell you something. Before you were born, your mother and I had quite a row. What it was about, I don't even remember. Do you eat it? No. There, you see? It happened over nothing at all. But we were young and proud and stubborn. So I packed my things and moved over to the YMCA. But your mother, bless her, she phoned me. You remember, Edith. Why, just think of it, if she hadn't phoned me, all that's good in our lives would have been thrown away. Our home, our children, our love for each other. Oh, excuse me, Dad, I, I think that's Mr. Burroughs. Harry. Hmm? When did you move into the YMCA? <laughs> Why, you made up that whole fantastic story. Oh, I did not. I read it here five minutes ago in the magazine. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, it was Mr. Burroughs. There's an apartment Mr. Burroughs wants me to show, that new building at 3rd and Oak. Now, just a minute, Ruth. Sorry, Dad. He said right away. See you later. Apartment, huh? Edith, isn't Bill still looking for a place? But yes, yes, he is. I see. Well, I think I'll make a phone call. What's the number of that bank, better hurry, Bill, if you're going to make that speech during your lunch hour. Uh, would you give me ten minutes off, Tommy? Why? Well, I'd like to run over to Third and Oak. There's an apartment I want to look at. Oh? How did you hear about an apartment? Well, I don't know. Someone just called and left a message. Is this the apartment? Ruth. Bill! It, it was nice of you to come over. Well, I, uh... I heard about the apartment and... Uh... Oh, the apartment. Well, it's a very nice apartment. I was just here showing it to someone. Uh-huh. Uh, how long have you had a job? I just started today. Uh, oh, about this apartment. There's only one drawback. The rent's 95 a month. Oh. Oh, well, that's okay. It is, but... I... I'm quitting the bank. I I'm going to work for the shopping news, business manager. Oh, that's fine. A uh, hundred a week to start with. Oh, that is fine. You know, it's funny, a guy renting an apartment from his wife. I guess we did the sensible thing, don't you? The way things worked out? Yeah, yeah. When two people realize that they... Yeah, very sensible. Oh, Bill, it wasn't sensible at all. It was stupid. Just plain, downright stupid. And if you think you could Are forgive you me... Ready, I... darling? I think we just have time to... Oh. Oh, Ruth, uh, you've met Miss Murphy, uh, Tommy Murphy? Yes. Uh, she's taking me to lunch. I, I mean, we're going to lunch. Well, you, you'd better hurry. Well, Ruth, you... I'll mail you the lease. Oh, now, look, Mrs. Seacroft, if you'll just listen to me, I can explain. Bill listens to you. Isn't that enough? Uh, but, Ruth, it's just... Please, I wish you'd both go. Yeah. Yeah, sure.
Come in. Oh, Mr. Burroughs. Glad you're still here, Mrs. Seacroft. Uh, I brought you those leases. Mr. Burroughs. Yes? I've changed my mind about this job. I want to go to Chicago. The curtain rises on Act Three of Dear Wife, starring William Holden as Bill, Joan Caulfield as Ruth, Edward Arnold as Judge Wilkins, and Mona Freeman as Miriam. Bill Seacroft's found a new job and a new apartment, but it certainly appears that he's lost a wife. While Ruth prepares to leave for Chicago, the political campaign is drawing to a close. Naturally, Tommy Murphy is seeing more and more of her favorite candidate. Oh, hello, Tom. Come in. Well, nice, tidy place you have here, Bill. Oh, just push your way through. I'm crazy about housekeeping. I, um, I hear your wife's going to Chicago. Yeah, I heard. Why don't you see her? No, it's, it's gone too far, Tommy. It's not going to please the voters, is it? It's not just the campaign I'm thinking about. Phone her, Bill. Uh-uh. What's her number? I said no, Tommy. Well, I've tried to be a Girl Scout. Now I'll be a heel. Bill, how do you feel about me? Well, I, I like you fine. You know that, Tommy. That doesn't answer my question. Bill, I can't pretend I'm sorry about the way things turned out. You see, I like Ruth, but I like me better. And you quite a lot. Well, there now, it's your turn to make a speech. I haven't anything prepared. Hello? Bill, this is Miriam. Oh, hello, Miriam. Well, I'll be running along. Oh, hold on a second, Miriam. And uh, you might think about that speech, Bill. I'll call you later. Sorry, Miriam. Oh, that's all right. Bill, would you kindly take me to the dance, the PTA dance, Tuesday night? A dance? Oh, now, look, honey. Oh, Bill, you've just got to. Look, Miriam, there must be dozens of fellows your age who'd like to take you. Oh, but, Bill, I can't let Clara take him away from me. That, that Ziggy character? Oh, now, look, Miriam, I'm, I'm really very flattered that you want to take me, but now how... You will? Oh, Bill, you're an angel. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, it worked, it worked, it worked, it worked. What, dear? Bill's taking me to the PTA dance. Bill? Well, don't you see? Parents will be there and alumni. Well, it's so simple. We get Ruth to go to the dance. She sees Bill and, and knows Chicago. Well, that's a good try, honey, but Ruth won't be here. She's changed the plan. She's leaving in the morning. Oh. <laughs> Oh, Ruth. Albert phoned, dear. He said he'll be right over. Thanks, Mother. He's taking me to the railroad station. Is she still going? What do you mean, is she still going? That foolish girl. Well, Bill's just as obstinate. Oh, if there were just something we could do. What if I wrote her a letter and signed Bill's name to her? Miriam, please. <laughs> no letters. Oh. Well, then I suppose I could... No. Well... Is our little chick ready to leave the roost? Uh, hello, Albert. Albert, I am not in a very good humor. Now, now, Judge, it's all for the best. Chin up. Albert, 
Do you have to be a yuck, Miriam? <laughs> We're all very upset, Albert. But why? Ruth once made a foolish move, now she's making a wise one. And I say more power to and her. And I say shut up. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Albert. <laughs> well, she'd better hurry. I've got to drive slow. My brakes aren't fixed. Bad brakes, huh? Hello, Albert. Oh, I'll take your luggage out to the car, Ruth. Come along, Miriam. We can help. Aren't you coming to the station, Dad? I can't, honey. There's a session in traffic court. Well, have a nice trip and drop us a line occasionally. Oh, I'm glad you're not upset about my leaving. Upset? Why should I be? You want to go, don't you? Well, you don't have to be so happy about it. Oh, well, I'm just making the best of things. Coming, Ruth? Goodbye, darling. Goodbye, dear. Forty breaks, huh? Operator. Operator, give me the police department. Yes, I know, I know. This is Judge Wilkins. Now, let me speak to Lieutenant Walker in the traffic department. Where is he? Where is Judge Wilkins? I insist upon seeing Judge Wilkins. That's the general idea, bud. This happens to be traffic court. What is this? What is all this? Well, Judge, it seems this guy here is... Edith, Ruth! I'm here, too, Father. Yes, I see you are. Judge Wilkins, you won't believe what I had to go through. You simply won't believe... Father, these two officers are still driving, Harry, and he just... Order, order, please. This is a courtroom. They made me miss my train. I'm terribly sorry to hear that, Ruth. Ruth was a witness. She can testify. The witnesses will please sit down until they're called. Now, what's the charge? I charged them with false arrest, attempted assault and battery, and tearing my new blue suit. Look, just... Just look! Sergeant, tell me what happened. Well, Judge, I was what close What happened? These guerrillas stopped me and asked me about my brakes. I told them who I was, and they were extremely rude. He made a very uncalled-for remark, Your Honor. And then these two pigs... That was a remark! <laughs> Just because I had the hiccups, they said I was drunk. Drunk, mind you! <gasps> Oh, I shouldn't get excited. Well, he acted drunk, Your Honor. Oh, then they took me to the police station. They made me walk a straight line. Now, now, Albert. And then I had to blow up a balloon. <laughs> Sobriety test, Your Honor. Can't a man hiccup without having to blow up a balloon? Is it against the law to hiccup? Oh, I shouldn't get so excited. Tell me who tore his coat. He did it himself. I'm holding him by the sleeve, see? And he runs away, and I'm still holding the sleeve. Oh, here. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Albert, you are charged with driving with 40 brakes and resisting an officer. I take it you plead not guilty. I am not guilty. And I'm an hour late at the bank as it is. I'll just take a seat for a moment, Albert, and cool off. Oh, a man my age blowing up a balloon. Uh, say, uh, uh, Jim, you, you belong to the PTA, don't you? Why, yeah, sure, Your Honor. When is that dance? Uh, next Tuesday. Thank you very much. The trial is set for Wednesday, 10 a.m. No bay will be necessary. Well, that's very decent of you, Judge. And all witnesses are ordered to appear at the same time. You don't mean me, Dad. I won't be here. I said all witnesses will appear. But I'm taking the next train to Chicago. The court is very sorry to inconvenience the witness, but our presence here on Wednesday is essential and is so ordered. But now look here, Dad. Young lady in a courtroom, a witness does not address the judge as dad. Your honor is behaving like a stinker. 
And you'll stay in town for the trial, Mrs. Seacroft, or be arrested for contempt of court. Next case, please. Now, Ruth, you came to this dance to please your sister. Well? The least you can do is to be pleasant. We can do without the judicial tone, Harry. We are not in court. We will be in the morning. I don't find that very amusing. Well, we might as well sit down. You know something, Bill? You're a very accomplished dancer. Thank you, Miriam. But I wish you wouldn't look so tragic. I want Ziggy to think we're having fun. Well, how's this? <laughs> now you look like an advertisement for toothpaste. Well, there's your Casanova in my pants. Oh, he's dancing with Clara. Miriam, are you expecting someone you keep looking around? Hmm? Oh, now, what would I be expecting? Bill, what would you do if, by the sheerest accident, you happen to run into Ruth? Here at the dance? Well, she's not coming, is she? Oh, no. Oh, so you're disappointed. Look, let's just dance, huh? Well, of course it's Bill. And you knew he'd be here, didn't you, Father? He's your husband, Ruth. Well, I'm leaving. Ruth, 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 come here. Oh, wait a moment, Ruth. Oh, please, there's no need to make a scene. I'm just going home, that's all. Going home? Well, I must have been a very bad father. This has nothing to do with Oh, you. yes, it has. If I'd brought you up properly, you wouldn't have been running away. You'd stay and face things. Oh, please, I want to phone for a taxi. All right, Ruth, all right. The fact that you're a disappointment as a daughter is not important. If you want to be a failure as a wife and not much of a woman, go ahead. Run out. Uh, on the other hand, if, uh, if you'd care to dance... Uh... Oh, Dad, I... I'd love to dance. That's my girl. Gee, Miriam, it was sure nice of Bill to let me dance with you. <laughs> Perhaps Bill just wanted to dance with Clara. Well, I'm, I'm glad you got here anyway. Oh, Ziggy, there's just no logic in my feeling about you. You're certainly not good-looking. You're politically unconscious and... Oh, gee... You talk beautifully. <laughs> Miriam, you... You want to wear my fraternity pin? Well, it, it's awfully nice of you to ask me, Ziggy, but giving a girl a fraternity pin is... Well, it's a barbaric symbol of possession, like branding a cow. Oh, I, Oh, listen, I, I certainly don't think of you that way. But, Ziggy, if I were to wear your pin, it would mean that... I'll wear it. You will? Huh? Oh, gosh. I, I, I can hardly talk. Well, 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 Mr. Seacroft. Oh, I'm sorry, Clara. Uh, see you later. I do not wish to dance with Clara. Well, my feet hurt, Albert. Ask someone else. You won't be quite so flippant when you've heard what I've got to say. Well, say it. This way, if you don't mind. Well, I have some extremely bad news for you, Seacroft. You are no longer a candidate for state senator. Oh, I'm not. No, I'm... you're not. You've moved, haven't you, to Street? That's in the 10th district. You were a candidate from the 3rd. Oh. So you're disqualified. And some more news. 
I'm planning to spend my vacation next month in Chicago. Incidentally, Ruth will be in Chicago. Albert, go away, will you? You came between us once and it didn't work out. I trust you'll be sensible enough not to do it again. I said go and away. Furthermore, see, Bob. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, I just received some news that you'll all be glad to hear. Van Buren Heights can now have its new airport and nobody will be left homeless. George H. Stiver is donating his Lakeview property for the airport. May I say a few words? Well, Mrs. Bixby? As most of you know, I have been very active in the campaign to elect our good friend, Judge Wilkins, to the state senate. In view of what you have just heard, there is no longer anything to be said in favor of that self-seeking young man who accepted the judge's bounty and the judge's daughter, only to desert both when he saw a chance for his own advancement. Mrs. Bixby, please! Not a word of that is true. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Mrs. Seacroft. My husband has never been supported by anyone but himself. If we've separated, it's no one's fault but mine, and no one's business but ours. I personally am going to vote for my husband. Ruth. Oh, Bill. Bill. Albert. Albert, wait a minute. Wait, have you seen Bill? I said, have you seen Albert, that black eye? He's seen him, Father. Well? Uh, good morning, sir. I'm here on behalf of the Civic Betterment League. And would you care to sign up for... At seven o'clock in the morning, are you nuts? Yeah, what is it? Would you like to sign a petition to send William C. Croft to the state senate from the 10th district? Of course I would. Oh, oh, just a second, Miriam. Good morning, darling. Good morning, darling. Kissing at seven o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Now, here's Mr. Keeley with our stars. The curtain has fallen on dear wife, but here she is with all her relatives to take an extra bow. William Holden, Joan Caulfield, Edward Arnold, and Mona Freeman. Joan, I've heard rumors that we haven't seen the last of the Wilkins family. That's right, Bill. Paramount has just finished the sequel to the sequel with the perfect title, Dear Brat. Who is an old maid of 18, played by Miss Mona Freeman. (laughs) Eddie, you're also in Dear Brat, I hear. Yes, uh, Bill and Joan seem to have gone elsewhere, but Mona and I carry on. Well, it's pretty obvious where Bill went right down Sunset Boulevard, to win an Academy Award nomination for the best performance of the year. And we certainly want to add our congratulations and best wishes, Bill. Thank you. 
And our congratulations to Eddie Arnold. You know, he's opening later this evening at the Biltmore Theater in Apple of His Eye. And by now, he has a bad case of butterflies. Oh, Bill, I can hardly believe that a veteran actor like Eddie has opening night jitters. Why, of course not. The idea is to reckless a couple of hours. <laughs> Good night. night. You're a wonderful family. From February 19th, 1951, that was Dear Wife, as heard on Lux Radio Theater. You know, when William Holden first came on the scene back in the late 40s, early 50s, he was he was quite a heartthrob. I remember in the movie Picnic, he was quite a quite a heartthrob. He was sort of the matinee idol there for a while. He was always a good actor. Liked William Holden. I liked him in Network. Liked him in a number of films. He had a really sad death. Do you remember how he died? He was in his apartment in Santa Monica, and he apparently had had too much to drink. He had a reputation as as a pretty heavy user of alcohol, and apparently he got drunk, and they think he slipped and fell on a rug and hit his head on a table, and it caused a serious laceration, and he bled to death. They don't know if he was unconscious or he just didn't know how serious the injury was because of his inebriation or just what it was. But uh, very sad. He wasn't discovered for four days. I liked William Holden. I really did. He was an animal lover. And remember, he developed a relationship with Stephanie Powers. And after he died, she created, what was it, a wild game reserve in Africa and named it after him. All right, more Lux Radio Theaters in the weeks ahead. It's always a fun show because sometimes we have comedies, sometimes we have dramas, sometimes we even have musicals. Lux Radio Theater, that was a big, big deal back uh, when it was on the air. And if you could get tickets to it, it was just like having tickets to a hit Broadway show. that music means that music means it is time for us to travel back in time time to go back to the old west 
The year is 1874. The place is Dodge City, Kansas. Come along as we walk shoulder to shoulder up Front Street with Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're likely to meet Doc and Kitty and Chester and the whole gang on yet another episode of Gunsmoke. Tonight's episode was originally broadcast July the 5th, 1954. When Matt has an old friend show up in town, they enjoy reminiscing, but things change when the reason for his visit becomes apparent. The name of this episode is Hack Prime, and it's a good one. Here it comes. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. It was a long ride from Dodge up to Ponca Creek in the Dakota Territory. And I killed a good horse getting there. But I caught Lee Trumbull. He was asleep in a clump of willow, and I took him without a fight. We rode his horse double into Sioux Falls, but we came the rest of the way back to Dodge in style by stagecoach. At least I thought we were traveling in style. Lee didn't seem to care much for it. In fact, he wouldn't even talk until the stage pulled into Dodge and drove up Front Street toward the plaza. You're making a bad mistake, Marshal. Is that so? I didn't kill anybody. There are two witnesses say you did, Lee. They're lying. Then why did you run? My brother Dolph, he said you was after me. That's why I run. You'll get a trial. You can talk about it then. I ain't gonna stand trial, Marshal. Dolph will get me out of jail before that. Is that so? I never figured Dolph is a man to do much of anything. You've been against us Trumbulls ever since we come to Dodge, ain't you, Marshal? Yeah, I have. Neither one of you is any good. See what I mean? Yeah, there's your brother Dolph now, waiting to oh. welcome you back. Oh. Well, how'd he know I was coming? I wired Chester from Sioux Falls a week ago. That bandy like a deputy of yours? Chester's not my deputy. Well, he sure acts like it. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? No, 
Here we are. You got my brother in there, Marshal? Come on out, Lee. You're going to be sorry for this. Yeah, that's what Lee's been telling me. Come on, Lee, get on out of there. I'm coming, Marshal, I'm coming. Shoot him, dog. Don't look at me, Marshal. I didn't even draw. No. No, you didn't, did you, Dolph? You didn't have to kick him like that. You hurt him. He'll get his wind back. I got him covered, Mr. Dillon. Uh, hello, Chester. Don't you try nothing like that again, Lee. It's all right, Chester. The fight's out of him. You want me to take Dolph's gun? Now, that's funny. I keep forgetting. You do wear a gun, don't you, Dolph? There's nothing wrong with wearing a gun, Marshal? There is the way you wear one. What do you mean? Well, you might run into somebody who doesn't know you're afraid to use it. and He might shoot you before he found that out. You calling me a coward, Marshal? Now, Chester. Yes, sir? I'm going over to the office. When Lee here stops groaning, hurt him over and lock him up, will you? Okay, sir. And if Dolph gives you any trouble, shoot him. Now, Marshal. Get going, Dolph. Go on, move. You'll be sorry for this. I'll make you sorry for it. Oh, say, there's a fellow waiting for you over at the office, Mr. Dillon. He's a stranger to me, but he wanted to see you. All right, Chester. Oh, by the way, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. It's been most a month you've been gone. We sure did miss you here. Now, there were times when I missed being here, Chester. Uh, don't let Lee get away from you now, huh? I'd hate to make that ride all over again. No, sir, I won't. Oh, I sure won't. Oh, stop breathing like that, Lee, and get on your feet. You ain't hurt. Come on, Well, <laughs> hello, Matt. Hack, Hack Brian, how are you? Good to see you. <laughs> You're surprised to see me alive, huh, Matt? Why, Hack, it's been at least ten years, hasn't it? Man ain't born that could kill me. Leastways, I ain't run into him yet. Well, maybe you're just lucky. <laughs> Luckier than you, anyways. A lot luckier sometimes, the way I recall it. Now you're thinking about Santa Fe. Huh? Yeah. You wasn't very lucky that day, Matt. Hey, remember how it was? You backed into a corner with nothing but a beer bottle in your hand and three of John Chisholm's drunk cowboys about to empty their guns into you. Yeah, yeah. And you walked in and killed every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it was real surprised, wasn't it, Matt? Now, John Chisholm's been after you ever since, hasn't he, Hack? Oh, it was just the first of Chisholm's men I've killed, Matt. Been riding with Billy the Kid till about half a year ago. Oh? Well, why'd you quit? Never could make out if Billy was working for or against Chisholm. Besides, it didn't pay enough. Oh, but you're the one, Matt. <laughs> when I got to Dodge last night, heard you was U.S. Marshal here, I just didn't believe it. <laughs> well, being a Marshal isn't that hard a job. Oh, you can handle it, all right, I know that. What I mean is, is kind of sudden... Find a man you used to know being a U.S. Marshal. Well, I got to earn my keep somehow. Oh, sure, sure. Well, what are you doing to Dodge, anyway? I don't know, Matt. I don't know yet. I've been over to Wagon Bed Springs, stretching my legs, sleeping in a bed, doing a little gambling and the like. Now, some fella here sent for me. I ain't seen him yet, but if it's a job he's got, I sure need the money. <laughs> well, good luck with it, Hack. We'll get together later and have a drink. Oh, eh? right, straight ahead, Lee. I see that door there. The is out What's back. this? 
Just a prisoner. What'd he do? I didn't do nothing. Shut up and keep walking, me. What you locking him up for, man? Murder. That's bad. That's real bad. Murder's always bad. I don't mean that. I mean locking a man up. I couldn't stand that, Matt. I never been in jail. I never ain't gonna be. <laughs> well, then you better stay sober around here, Hack. And you're taking it back about that drink. <laughs> oh, no, no. You'll be safe as long as you're with me. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, Matt. I've been around you when it wasn't so safe. <laughs> I'll see you later. Yeah, sure, Hack. Oh. Hey, well, come on in, mister. I'm leaving. So long, Matt. So long, Hack. Marshal Dillon? Uh, hello, Ole. How are you? Marshal, I got something I got to tell you. It's my duty the way I see it. Oh, what's the trouble? Hello, Ole. What you doing here? Well, I come to tell the Marshal something, Chester, but I sure don't like informing on people. You understand me, Marshal? Well, what's it about, Ole? Dolph Trumbo, that's what. You got his brother Lee in jail here. We sure have. I just locked him up myself. Well, Dolph's coming to get him out. He's over at the Alphaganza right now talking it up. Talking what up? Well, there's some men at the bar there, Marshal. And Dolph's buying them drinks and telling them his brother's plum innocent and they got to raid the jail here and get him out. You mean he's forming a mob? That's what he's doing, and I don't like it. There's going to be trouble, sure. Ole, thanks very much for telling me this, but uh, don't worry about the trouble. I'll put a stop to that right now. Come on, Chester. Yes, sir. Wouldn't you know Dolph Trumbo do something stupid like this, Mr. Dillon? Trying to form a mob to take his brother out of the jailhouse. Well, it works sometimes, Chester. Not in Dodge, it don't. Oh, not so far, anyway. Uh, here's the Oliver Ganza. Now, don't get in the way. Huh? No, sir. You're right, Dolph. And something else. There's nothing to be afraid of. Man, you'll be led by one of the best gunmen in the whole country. I promise you that. And, and we'll have justice in Dodge. Once and for all, justice. That. What do you want, Marshal? What are you doing here? Ole told you, I seen him sneak out. I just been talking, Marshal. No harm in talking, is there? Well, Lee's innocent anyway. He shouldn't be in jail. And, and, and I'm going to get him out, too. These men here, they're all with me. And we're going to... Quiet. Bartender, this place is closed for the rest of the day. No more liquor. And you men get out of here and don't let me find any of you together again, not for a long time. Now get moving. Oh, here, Chester, I'll pay for the beer. 
you leaving, Mr. Dillon? Oh, Kitty just came downstairs. I haven't seen her yet. I think I'll go over and say hello. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, like for me to go across the street and see if they're keeping the Alifaganza closed? No, that's all right. I told them they could open up again tonight. Oh, well, thanks for the beer, Mr. Dillon. Sure, Chet. Sure. Welcome to Dodge, stranger. How are you, Kitty? Fine. I'd be even better if you brought two beers over instead of one. Uh-huh. But you can sit down anyway. <laughs> well, you can take this one, Kitty. It's kind of warm. I don't want it. Matt, do you suppose the day will ever come when having good manners will be a requirement for the marshal's office? <laughs> well, if it ever does, Kitty, I don't guess they'll need marshals anymore. Yeah, maybe you're right at that. Well, how have you been, huh? Everything okay? Well, I was making out pretty good, Matt, till I broke my toe. Broke your toe? Yep. <laughs> How'd you do that? In the line of duty, right here in the saloon. I got tromped on, dancing with a Texas cowboy who should have been spending his trail money on red silk handkerchiefs and soda water instead of me. He couldn't have been over 16, darn fool kid. There's not much you can do for a broken toe, is it? No. At least it doesn't hurt when I'm sitting down. I uh, hear you broke up Dolph Trumbo's party at the Alifaganza this afternoon. Oh? Uh-huh. You hear just about everything, don't you, Kitty? Men. They talk more than women. <laughs> this place is full of men, day and night. You think if I closed my eyes and prayed real hard, they'd all go away? Well, if they did, what would you do for a living? That'll keep me awake. <laughs> Say, there's your friend Dolph now. Just came in. Huh? There's a stranger with him, Matt. Well, I'll be. What's the matter? Who is he? He's a gunman, Kitty. That's so? Yeah. I guess he's about the handiest man with a gun that ever hit Dodge. Well, Dolph's gone and I hired him a gunman. Who is he, anyway? What's his name? He's a friend of mine, Kitty. A friend of yours? Yeah, a good friend. He saved my life once. But now I guess he's going to try to get it back. His name's Prine. Hack Prine. The government never did pay me much for enforcing the law in Dodge, but even if they doubled it, there were times when I'd like to acquit. I sat there with Kitty and watched the two men at the bar. They had a drink, then they shook hands, and then Hack walked out. I got up, and I followed him. you staying? Dodge House. Huh? You've got a room. I, uh, I'd like to talk to you. Street will do. Okay. Dolph was trying to form a mob this afternoon, Hack. He wanted to raid his brother out of jail. I heard about it. When I went to break it up, I heard him saying they'd be led by one of the best gunmen in the country. Now, that wouldn't be Dolph himself. No. He's afraid of guns. He, uh, he meant you, didn't he, Hack? I hadn't talked to him yet. He was just guessing I'd come in. And you have? Not with no mob. I told him that. I don't work with mobs. You should have known better than to say that. Well, how do you work, Hack? 
Alone, by myself. I'm a pretty good gunman, Matt. Yeah, yeah, I know. It saved my life once, sure, being a good gunman. Yeah. Matt, turn his brother loose. I get paid if you do. Look, Hack, Lee Trumbo murdered a man. He's going to stand trial for it. I don't get paid if he stands trial. But you get paid for shooting me? That's what Dolph said. That was his deal. Well? Well, they tell me you're better with a gun you used to be, Matt. Hack, I don't want to fight you. Afraid, Matt? How'd you get to be marshal, anyways? It's a job. I took it. Well, I've been offered a job, too, and I took it. Yeah, but you had better jobs, Hack. Well, it's been bothering me some, Matt. I took an awful chance saving your life once. Now I got to take another to kill you. That don't make much sense, does it? Look, Hack, why don't you forget it, huh? Go on back to Wagon Bed Springs. I'll lend you some money to see you through. No, home. it ain't that easy, Matt. I back out on this, the word will get around. Nobody will hire me for nothing no more. My reputation won't be worth crow bait. Did Billy the Kid pay you to kill men? Of course not. Of course not. That was for pleasure. You know how I hate John Chisholm. And you come down a long way, Heck. Selling your gun. I killed a man for pay over to La Hunter. Didn't bother me none. Who was he? I don't know. Some gambler. Pretty good gunman, though. Tell me something, Hack. Did Dolph say how his brother murdered that man here? Dolph claims he didn't do it at all. Well, there were two witnesses who saw him do it. The man was a buffalo skinner, unarmed. He didn't even have a knife on him. But he refused to buy Lee Trumbo a drink, so Lee shot him. Unarmed? That's right. Shot an unarmed man? You think it over, Hack. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night. A man like Hack Prine had his own peculiar sense of honor. The idea of shooting me seemed to bother him less than the fact that Lee Trumbull would kill an unarmed man. Later that night, I heard he'd been seen having an argument with Dolph. So I figured I'd won. But another killing in Dodge, either me or Hack, had been avoided. Until early next morning, word came that a man had been shot at the Dodge house. I sent Chester on over while I went up and got Doc Adams. How do you know the man isn't already dead, Matt? I don't know, Doc. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll probably make more money off of him dead than alive. Oh? Well, I get paid for autopsies, don't I? Sure. Yeah, but just try to collect for the ones I keep alive. <laughs> Just you try it. And I'm glad I don't have to, Doc, but I still notice you buy a new buggy every spring. Oh, yes, and wear it out before. Racing across the prairie, delivering babies, setting bones, digging out bullets, delivering babies. Well, exercise keeps a man young, Doc. That's a good thing I don't depend on sympathy to keep me young. Ah, here we are. Mr. Dillon? Mr. Dillon, Oh, hello, Doc. Where is he, Chester? In that room right there, number 12. And you know who it is? It's Ole. Ole? Yes, sir. Ole. And Hack Prine shot him. What? It's Hack's room, Mr. Dillon. He did it all right. Now let's take a look. Where's Hack now, Chester? I don't know, sir. Nobody's seen him for the past hour. I kept everybody out of the room, Mr. Dillon. 
Uh, all right, now stand aside here, boys. Let the marshal and doc through. Come on, now, fellas, let them. Let me through. Let me through here. It's Oli, all right. He's dead, Matt. Real dead. Three, four hours, probably. Nobody heard a shot or nothing, Mr. Dillon. But when the clerk come on duty about an hour ago, he saw Hack Prine walk out of here. Why anybody want to kill poor little Oli, I do not understand. I'll bet I know, Mr. Dillon. What, Justice? You didn't talk Hack out of trying to kill you after all. He went back to Dolph last night and told him he'd take the job. Then he figured the only way to get you into a fight was to shoot somebody so you'd have to come after him. Yeah, maybe. Now, come on, let's start looking for him. I guess Alfreganza is the only place we haven't looked in, Mr. Dillon. He's got to be there, unless maybe he's going to try to bushwhack you. Hack may be a paid killer, Chester, but he always faces man head on. Yes, sir. That come right from the Alfreganza. Yeah. Mr. Dillon, there's Hack. He's coming out. Yeah. All right, get off the street, Chester. Yes, sir. Morning, Matt. Hello, Hack. Just killed a man in that saloon there. Dolph Trumbull? I killed him. I gave him a chance, but he wouldn't draw. I killed him anyways. That's too bad, Hack. Ain't no man gonna frame me. I never thought you killed Ole, but I wanted to hear you say so. How'd you know I didn't do it? Well, it wouldn't be your style to kill a defenseless little fellow like that, would it? Of course not. So while you were out gambling last night, Dolph killed him and dumped him in your room. I found him there, and then I went after Dolph. Ain't no man can do that to me. Hack, according to the law, you murdered Dolph. I'm going to have to arrest you. What? You're going to have to stand trial for it. Oh, no, man. No, sir, I ain't going to jail. Not me, Matt. Never. I'm a lawman, Hack. I got to arrest you. Matt, I told Dolph last night I wasn't going to take his job. I told him I was going to leave town. You're under arrest, Hack. All right. I guess you've got to do it. Let's go for it, Matt. No, Hack, no. Let's see what happens. Hack. Hack. Oh, you... 
You're sure good, Matt. You're awful good. Yeah. Better this way, Matt. Than getting paid to fight you. Sure. Sure it is. There weren't no reason to, to fight you. Not that way. I can't see you no more, Matt. It's like like being underwater. I can't see nothing. Uh-huh. Mr. Dillon, that was awful good shooting. I never seen nothing as fast as that in my whole life. My, I'll bet he didn't know what hit him. The way he spun around there when, when you... Mr. Dillon? Mr. Dillon, what's the matter? Mr. Dillon? My. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Vic Perrin, John Daner, and Harry Bartell. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. was Gunsmoke from 1954, and the name of that episode was Hack Prime. As always, we'll have more Gunsmoke the next time we get together. Well, because we had the Lux Radio Theater night, we ran a little long, so I have to get out of here real quickly because we are all out of time. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.